Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. If you missed it, the London uh, Paul uh, interview will be posted everywhere. Go to roguenews.com. It's actually posted here on Twitch, DLive, and everywhere else. And we have with us the man of the hour, the next man of the hour. And then at, right after Velas, we're going to have Matthew Errett at 2 p.m. So Velas is here. Velas, what's going on? For, how are you, my man? I'm good, guys. Good to see you. And uh, good show by, by uh, London Paul earlier. Uh, yes, I, I caught, caught most excellent. of that. It was some solid stuff. Absolutely. Velas, lots going on. Where do you yes. want to begin? Well, we're going to cover a bit about um, the Great Reset today and uh, some news points before we get into that. And by the way, folks, for the Friday show uh, this week at 11, um, subject, subject to change possibly as far as the time, uh, uh, I've got some rather earth-shattering stuff about uh, Israeli moves in the Midwest. Uh, so we'll get Ooh. to that this Friday. So... Um, very good discussion on on Discord on Sunday the 27th with our legal uh, colleague walked through a number of folks uh, through their various legal situations and how to approach it. Uh, again, uh, we are not attorneys and we are not dispensing legal advice, just an open forum among those there. And the line was often, often repeated during that call. Uh, please always consult with an attorney, but uh, very good uh, discussion. Um, Watch what happens, folks, 72 hours after Joe Biden's State of the Union speech. Uh, the reason why I say that is because um, he does not look good uh, more than normal. Uh, I saw the film clip this morning of him getting off the uh, Air Force One helicopter, and holy cow, it looked like it took all he had just to walk across the lawn. So you better believe they're going to be drugging him up on Adderall and everything else to hold him together just long enough to get through tonight's speech. And I'm sure tonight's speech will be littered with all sorts of garbage as CJ and V were alluding yesterday. So my point is, is about 72 hours after that speech uh, for the rest of this week, uh, I don't even think he's going to be available. He's going to be a mess. So I'm not saying decisions in Washington cannot be made without him. I'm just saying it's going to have an impact because other people are going to have to step in for him. Um, Last night on the uh, Vellis uh, section of discord i posted two pieces on the ukraine situation i think should give you about 80 to 85 percent of kind of the total picture of what's going on there uh one of those was a youtube video by um, an organization or a person called real life lore uh, the name of the video was what russia wants in ukraine uh, the other was an article from the corbett report titled quote the ukraine crisis what you need to know i felt both were pretty fair and balanced as well as outlining the strategic and the tactical uh, about what's going on at, uh, with the various players involved, at least from, from my perspective. Um, sidebar as well, just an observation, uh, just another one of my commentaries. I've, I've begun to notice again how worn out people are. Um, whenever I post content to LinkedIn, which is usually about everything from creative financing for startup businesses, dangers in the metaverse, you know, related topics. You know, I got a number of people who either like it or view it or whatever. If I post articles about archaeology or cool science stuff, the figures like quadrupled. 
Um, so obviously folks are looking for something off the beaten path to get their mind off of, of what's going on these days. Um, it's been referenced by many. Uh, I know here at Rogue, we've been reiterating it. The old saying about the first casualty of war is truth. Uh, Ukraine is, is no less than that. I'm pulling my hair out a bit. And I should have known better. Uh, and to quote from the Bible book of Mike Moore at True Pundit, 80% uh, of what goes on in the world is how can the world's elites make money off you, period. Um, it doesn't matter how heinous their actions. It doesn't matter how they plan to do it. It's just how do they make money off of us? Uh, factor that into the various powers involved in the Ukraine conflict, and we've pretty much got most of what's going on in the world right now. So I was a bit surprised when, for the past two years, quite a few people I know have kind of quietly mumbled to me that that they don't have all the facts, but they kind of had the feeling day one that the coup was BS. Uh, they feared what could be behind it, how far things might go, what what it all was about, et cetera, et cetera. And the minute we get shooting in Ukraine, these same folks are like, Russia's evil, Putin is the Antichrist, and the world community is all in agreement that he is evil, and let's all sing Kumbaya. And when I've shown pictures to those same folks of global events from 2004 and other years and how they've been doctored and used in the current Ukraine conflict, they're dumbfounded. So my comment to all without being critical about this is for anyone who's lived through the last two years and the lies about the coup and everything else, yet you would believe that Putin is Satan and CNN and Fox News sound very much alike these days, which oh, yeah. should strike you as a bit odd. Sean um, Hannity is calling for the Russian army to stand up and get rid of Putin. <laughs> of course he is. And he has a book to sell. Um, now, I understand it's Russian foreign policy stuff or international foreign policy stuff. That may not be your thing. You may not understand all the elements. I'm speaking generally when I say you. No worries. I get it. But when they turn the knob to 11 on disinformation, yeah. and you've already been living through the coup for the last two years, you've already been living through this level of disinformation. But yet, suddenly, we've got people who believe that what you're seeing is real. I don't mean that the war isn't real. I just mean that the details around what it's all about and what are the goals and motivations of all parties concerned are not exactly in the public domain. Russia is not Satan, and yes, you know, Vladimir Putin has foreign policies agendas who are, who are far-reaching. He always has. Keep your eye on the road when it comes to current events. Remember, you know, we had to listen to Don, and again, I'm not putting down Donald Trump. I'm not putting down Donald Trump supporters. I get it. But one of his biggest things was, as he said, he's cleaning up the swamp, or at least would, would damage it. And that didn't really happen. And Klaus Schwab is as close to the Clintons as he is to Putin and G. I'm not implying that Putin and Xi are behind what Schwab is doing, and certainly we've seen Schwab's comments about Xi of late. But we got to dig, folks. We got to dig, and we got to dig. And as we've said on the past couple of shows, trust but verify. But now more than ever, you got to vet what you're looking at. I know Gus was talking about that last week. Um, also, beware of the following, as this may be coming. If we hear about hacking in Western Europe or the United States during the Ukraine operation, listen to me carefully. That is not Russia. Caveat, depending on what kind of hacking it is. Are Russia's cyber defense foes, folks very active right now? Yes, of course they are. Are they responding to Western cyber offensives against them? Yes. 
At the same time, Russia's not going to do anything to impact civilians or in the United States or Europe. It would serve no military political purpose to do so. Will they shut down systems on certain military bases or hit the CIA or the NSA or the British MI6? Well, I think that's a fairly good bet. Will they impact all that drug money Western intelligence agencies use to fund off the books intelligence operations? Possibly. But remember Operation Northwoods, folks. Western governments are not above harming their own citizens to achieve a goal. So if we get any sort of weird hacking or, now I know, uh, and I'm just speaking sideways here, saw the events concerning Toyota last evening that they've had to shut down operations due to, to hacking. That could be anything. Uh, literally, that could be anything. And quite frankly, to be candid, that could even be Toyota just using that as an excuse to explain why their margins are off, uh, given the various supply chain problems that are out there. Right. Chip issues as well. Yeah. So before I get into the Great Reset stuff, I wanted to, to pause for a minute because I had a conversation yesterday with a very close friend and, and mentor who's a listener of the show and reminded me recently about some of my co- content. I brought this up before. And I respect the heck out of that person. So I'm pulling the bus over for a minute. Don't get depressed about what's going on in the world, folks. I know I say that a lot. And I know that those are just words. But you're not alone in this. And if you're on our show or you're listening to other alternative providers, you are being informed. And what you're being informed about is stuff that's off the radar of the mainstream media. I mean, I hate to use the matrix analogy, but there is some truth to that. You're dealing with more and more about what really goes on in the world, the good and the bad. This is a hard process, depending on where any of us may be on the 33 degrees of enlightenment about the world we live in. That goes for me as well. I've been studying this stuff intensely, both in academia as well as in my personal life for probably over 30 years, and I'm still learning things. So maybe I don't say this enough on the show. We have provided actionable information through Rogue News. There are many others out there that have done the same. That and we have comedic relief with with my memes on the Vela's channel and, and Gus's content. But with that resources page, I talked about that a week or two ago uh, on the Discord channel. And the programs we've walked you through, V did the extensive coverage about jailbreak cell phones and laptops, uh, your finances, the list goes on. We've had other folks on Rogue that provide you that kind of guidance on here are the things you might be able to do or ways in which you can kind of work through the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And I'm talking about that both at a personal level and a, and a much larger global level. To that end, on the resources page yesterday, I posted Steve Lado. Uh, did one of his little legal walkthroughs on how to keep trespassers off your property. That's one of the many kinds of things, because there's just a wide variety of areas where folks need help. And again, that's why we had that, that open platform discussion last Sunday, where one of our colleagues was providing guidance to a lot of folks about the various legal situations they're in or how to you know, conduct various kinds of research without getting in trouble, et cetera. So I know this can be upsetting. And I know comedians like Bill Hicks God rest his soul, used humor a lot to deal with these types of things. Uh, George Carlin did. And, you know, one of the things about Carlin's humor is, is if you really look at, at George Carlin, he was on Carol Burnett in 1969, for crying out loud. And you look at his humor through the 80s, into the 90s, and then towards the end of his career, you will notice a steep descent into anger the older he got. Now, I've had friends of mine tell me, well, he's an older guy. <laughs> he's an angry white male. Um, 
I've actually watched videos of George Carlin at book signings and things, talking to folks that are asking him questions and his thoughts on things. And it, it definitely, it definitely was apparent that he started coming into even more information in the latter part of his life. Mm-hmm. And it really made him angry. And I understand why it made it angry. He came to understand even more. And that's why a lot of his, his latter, uh, I can't even really call it comment- uh, comedy. It's more like commentary. So this is hard stuff. I know that. And, and hang in there. Uh, we literally are in this together. And there are also many new content providers. I've noticed this, this prior year. That's also why I gave the kind of warning I did about you-know-who last, last Friday. Because again, got to vet everybody and trust but verify. But voices are growing. The quality is getting better. The research is getting better. Uh, and then last but not least, for, for many in the Christian faith, uh, you know, we're heading into Lent. So that's yet another time for us to reflect on, on many of the things in our lives. So about the Great Reset. There was a very good talk recently given by Michael Rechtenwald, who's the chief academic officer for a group known as American Scholars. Uh, he's taught at New York University, Case Western Reserve, Duke University, North Carolina Central, and Carnegie Mellon. So he's a complete hack. I'm joking. Um, and he recently spoke on this topic last November, and the, com- the content I'm going to give you is, is from his talk. Uh, let this also be a reminder, not everybody in academia is a tool, just the loud, angry people on CNN are tools. Um, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum and Thierry Mallorette published a book recently called COVID-19, The Great Reset. In that book, they defined that as meaning the addressing of weaknesses in cap- capitalism exposed by the global experience with, with Kuf. And the idea of the Great Reset, though, goes far, far back, including to the founding of the World Economic Forum in 1971. Central to the theories around this economic approach is a reinterpretation to what is known as stakeholder capitalism. Mm. Uh, traditionally, that meant various investors or even employees of companies were the stakeholders. These folks mean it to include all social stakeholders, key words, social stakeholders. And this is where the growing involvement in social issues, green energy, global trade, and the cause of the month club is coming into being with so many firms. Now, the use of the term Great Reset came into use about 10 years ago with the 2010 book by the same name. Its author was a gentleman named Richard Florida, no joke on his last name. He's an American urban studies scholar, and his book argued that the 2008 crash was one of many great resets from the Great Depression to today. Now, at a philosophical level, this is what it boils down to and why it matters to you, our audience. This is an either-or comparison by global leaders to leave one system and adopt another. Our current system, and this has been the term I'm about to use, has been used for years in international affairs study. I know I had a ton of academic work along this, this term. The current system, economic system we are in, loosely agreed upon by most academics and and economists, is what's known as neoliberal economics. To the Great Reset crowd, they believe that system favors competition over solidarity, creative destruction, where some businesses succeed and others fail, rather than government intervention. And the current system to them favors economic growth over social welfare. They want a world of much greater government intervention in the economy and, frankly, very little difference between corporations and government. Now, for any of you who took civics in high school or, or 
covered some of these topics in college, I may be oversimplifying a bit, but to me, that's fascism. Now, a number of people have challenged Schwab and the World Economic Forum view on stakeholder capitalism as nothing more than corporate socialism. One scholar even refers to this as communist capitalism. The social justice angle is there must be a behavior modification, that's their term, not mine, of corporations to benefit not shareholders, but stakeholders, all individuals and groups who can benefit or be harmed by various corporate behaviors. And this means companies in the new system, quote unquote, must have policies regarding pandemics, ecological issues like climate change, and the list goes on. They must also rethink all aspects of their business operations to respond to vulnerable communities where they have operations. Now, logically, if you think about this, the larger a corporation or a company is, the more broad this becomes. If you're, if you're a medium-sized business, and I'm just extrapolating here, and you're making about two, three hundred million a year, and you're operating, let's say, out of Georgia, and you got operations maybe in Canada and Mexico, which are kind of small. Well, then how large really are the communities around your business operations? Are we talking five miles, 10 miles? Are we just automatically defaulting to anything that's urban near, near your operations? And, and to what degree must you be involved? in that? But if we start talking about Amazon, if we start talking about large oil companies and the list goes on, well, now it's end to end. It's like you, according to this line of argument, you have to be involved in everything. So to create compliance, they're advocating for what they call the Environmental, Social, and Governance Index, or ESG index, to be used to force out of the market. I'll say that again. They want to force out of the economic environment firms who cannot sustain these woke objectives. It's a form of corporate social credit score. And by the way, who's a major partner of the World Economic Forum in the use of ESG and encouragement of its use by boards of directors? BlackRock. That would be BlackRock. That would be BlackRock. So at the highest level, what does this mean? Well, it means you need a certain kind of corporate and government model globally to sustain the system. And that means the tendency towards corporate monopolies to vest as much production and distribution to a few favored major corporations. Schwab has said himself, and I quote, to bring about this reset means every country from the United States to China must participate in every industry. <laughs> must be transformed by this model. And what happens is it becomes a two-tiered economy where profitable monopolies and governments are at the top. And for all the rest of us, it's socialism. Therefore, the outcome from these kinds of measures driving businesses under, especially those who are privately held, is acceptable given the events of the last two years. Now, if you think about it, if you've had bad working conditions or you politically don't agree with the employer, you can leave and go somewhere else. I've been in a couple of these situations myself. In fact, <laughs> most recently with the government agency with whom I was working, where I just said, you know what? Uh, I can't fix you. I can't change you. And holy God, when I look at what the hell your senior leaders are doing, even by the standards of government, I just can't work here anymore. So I resigned. And equally after working in Silicon Valley, which was like working with the board, I can tell you it's a much harder thing to do when every firm out there has a board of directors who are beholden to BlackRock. If I got in trouble with the Silicon Valley firm or firms with whom I was working back in 2014, 2015, and I was still trying to stay in Northern California, I'd have, I'd have problems. I could go to another IT firm in that neck of the woods, but, but it could be problematic. I mean, like, you have to leave the state 
And if this becomes more widespread, it's going to create much larger problems for the rest of us if, if things kind of go more dire. Now, Schwab and Malaret in their book stated, and I quote, the past five centuries in Europe and America have taught us acute crises contribute to boosting the power of the state. It has always been the case, and there is no reason it will be different after the COVID-19 pandemic, unquote. And other current factors and trends include uh, unstopped immigration across any national border, not just the United States, travel restrictions for legal border crossing, because we don't want you leaving your country unless we think you need to leave your country, unrestrained printing of money, along with the inflation it causes, increased taxes, increased dependence on the government, supply chain challenges, and eventually carbon taxes and individual carbon goals. To the globalists, including the World Economic Forum, this is about fairness. And that fairness is achieved by lower economic status of people in wealthier countries relative to those in other countries. Further, and we know this, to use guilt on those who have wealth, wealth is a loosely defined term here, but, but people who are generally speaking wealthy, to accept the need for greater income fairness. That is, assuming it's everyone except government leaders and the folks who are pushing this stuff. Now, relating to the Great Reset in the World Economic Forum, there's some programs and conferences that are worth pointing out. The first is the World Economic Forum led several events towards various goals associated with Great Reset. The first was in May of 2018. They collaborated with John Hopkins to conduct a simulation called Clade X, focused on a national pandemic response. Uh, the simulation indicated such an outbreak could create 30 to 40 million deaths in the U.S. and 900 million globally. Now, some of you might think those numbers sound familiar, and you'd be right, because those were the figures the press was throwing around in the spring of 2020 about how bad COVID might get. That's where that data came from. So next up was October of 2019 where the WEF worked with John Hopkins again and the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. And this was the famous event 201, simulating what the international response to such a virus outbreak would be. And I would also remind us all, John Hopkins were the folks that were taking a lot of Epstein money for various interesting forms of research. Um, both of these simulations anticipated almost every outcome who eventually occurred. Um, these included future actions by governments, global corporations, the media, and the public. And these simulations also came pretty close to the measures that were taken later, including worldwide lockdowns, the collapse of businesses, and the adoption of various surveillance technologies in the name of the public good. And the simulations also included an emphasis on social media censorship to combat misinformation. Of course, one person's misinformation is another person's truth. So also about the misinformation thing on the medical world, just a reminder, I know we've been having this discussion on, on Discord quite a bit. Please exercise some caution on our Discord page about COOF topics because Discord is changing the terms of the service and let's not unnecessarily get ourselves uh, in trouble if we don't need to be. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to start off uh, um, eventually migrate to a really slick uh, telegram interface for the uh, channel or something along those lines so people could participate share ideas 
and it'll be pretty good. I mean, this way, I mean, it's the last one stands. It's the only platform that nobody could censor. Well, and I've talked about it on here before, folks, and and to V and CJ. <clears throat> Again, this this is why in Mike Moore's paranoia, and I, I commend the man. You know, this I, I was saying this many times last year that that Moore had started building this this highly regimented bunker of his on a website that he controls, where his chat boards and everything are under his control. He doesn't have to worry about anybody screwing with them. And and to V's point, we've got changes coming to our website and other services and so on that we use to to stay ahead of these things. And uh, Balaj guy, yes, how to take the system apart? Uh, totally agree with you. So where's the where's the hope in that narrative? First, the more this is exposed, the more it weakens their success. The second is the more we can leverage the legal system effectively, keyword, uh, the more you can impede and stop this. And we've already begun to see, I've mentioned on my show, I know there's some people out there on Discord who, who know this topic better than I do about the, the many ways in which people are learning how to use the legal system effectively. Uh, every everything from fighting back with with simple things like you're dispensing medical advice and you're not qualified to do that, OE employer, as well as other areas of injunctions and other things that can be used effectively. And I think one of the biggest areas where folks have learned is with the school boards, but it's now expanding into into other areas. The other thing is there are elites in this world for whom this type of system is a threat to them. Now I know that may not be ideal. But it is what it is. And so they will, they will in their own way fight this. The other thing is, is there are self-interested actors among the globalists will end up fighting among themselves as that always occurs. Um, this is, this is uh, the phrase or the term known as prisoner theory, where you may have some prisoners that are going along with the warden initially, but as soon as they see their own opportunities present themselves, they'll, they'll turn on others. I'm not saying this whole thing will fall apart, so don't worry about it. I'm just saying there are many factors here. The other thing, too, is one of the biggest attributes about this new system, as strange as this may sound, is loneliness and isolation. But that's the absolute truth. Think about it. Social credit systems, social divisions being created, the list goes on. So another way to fight this and another way to deal with this is, as I've often said on on my show, but it's been said by others, Every day that you stay in contact with friends and family, every day you help out others, every day you help someone not to feel alone in this world is another form of victory. It's how you fight back. Wars aren't won. I'm not referring to Ukraine. Wars are not won by a single battle. Wars are not won by a single event. It's a lot of little events comprising the whole of the conflict. And that is how you defeat an adversary. And this is no different. Lastly, no totalitarian system ever survives. And the historical data bears that out. Unless you have equity for individual citizens, unless individual citizens have the ability to express and fulfill themselves, it will fall apart. This has been tempted, attempted before many times the last 150 or so years, and it's failed miserably. But it is a work in progress right now, and we have to remain vigilant, vigilant. We have to remain informed. Now we have to remain united in our opposition to it. And again, as I often say, it's a very fluid situation. It's a very fluid situation, but we can get through it. So keep your head high and and don't get depressed about these things. 
The last item was the Song of Resistance, if you guys have the video clip. Yes. We're going to watch this in two parts. Now, this band is called The Who, H-U. They're a Mongolian metal rock band. I'm not kidding. (laughs) And have the Mongolian people forgotten who they are? No. Because The Who is kind of an interesting bunch. They've even done some songs with some other... uh, I don't want to say mainstream, but some some other bands out there. Um, a lot of their songs deal with with reaching out to their own community with with lyrics along the lines of "Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten where you came from? Um, you know, you make fun of your ancestors with that cell phone. That's kind of funny. I mean, that's that's some of their lyrics. This particular song is is very interesting if you watch the lyrics at the bottom of the screen. This video of theirs uses scenes from the movie about Genghis Khan. And note the battle tactics on the front end of this video. And as I said, read the lyrics at the bottom. We're going we're gonna to look at this in, in two pieces. Um, we're going to look at this, uh, what do you call it, for the first... Uh, until minute 2.0, and then we'll start up again at, at minute 3.25. So... If you guys will go ahead and play that. That's Genghis Khan reviewing his troops. That's impressive. Go to 325 if you will. 325. Notice that tactic, folks. They faced a much larger force. They came out as a single file line and only spread out when they engaged the enemy. Now go ahead and resume if you will. Now they're falling back to their line. 
they've drawn the enemy out. And now they walk right into a wall of archers. So if you saw those lyrics, folks, um, I've I've listened to this song many times and looked at the the lyrics of this song many times. Um, it is, and the lyrics, you know, if you because re- I had to look up a couple of the words, they make reference to um, spiritual concepts or or mythological animals and things. But everything they're saying is, is if if you if you come at us as human beings, we we will face you and we will defeat you. If you come at us as dragons, we will then transform ourselves into these other mythical and magical beasts and we will defeat you. If you come at us as lions, we will defeat you. If you come at us as elephants, we will defeat you. And it's like they just keep going on and on about no matter how you try and attack the Mongol people, we will adapt. We will overcome. You cannot mm. defeat us. Now, you can say what you will about Genghis Khan. You can say what you will about the fact that whatever it is that like a third or a quarter of the DNA of all people in Asia these days is Genghis. <laughs> right. But that there's so much in that, you know, and his tactics. Because, you know, the enemy sends out their cavalry. They think uh, Genghis is only sending out a very small force. Then it spreads out. They draw the enemy out. They essentially wipe out the cavalry. Right. And then the enemy is for- forced to engage them on their, on their terms. Plus, again, the lyrics, the lyrics of the song. So that's that's another uh, song of song of resistance. Um, so with that, I open the open the floor and and CJ and V. We've got uh, Matthew at two today yeah. Eastern. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think uh, CJ had to bounce out of here, but um, no, I mean, there's some great points. People people need to remember, you know, the greatest aspect that we have here is that these megalomaniac technocrats that are in the West are failing forward, they're failing sideways, and they're failing up. And one of the things that we can count on is their abject hubris, their incredible stupidity in believing their own bullshit. And (laughs) the world is falling apart. They're about to be undercut in a major, major way. And and, and look, there's a whole thing about Klaus and the world and the WEF and all these idiots. But at the end of the day, they're not gods. They're not invincible. And we, because when, when this system collapses, and it will, it will, we need to be like these people. We need to be like, like, the, like the Mongol hordes that ride in, fearless, and take every single one of these politicians to task. The rebuilding of America is up to us. It's like a Washington's dream, right? Washington said that he's saying the, the, the famous dream of George Washington where he said that he saw uh, two major wars and then a, a, a second civil war where he saw the, the, the cities burn and then the people of the countryside came back together and rebuilt the nation. 
that needs to be us. And we need to have that ferocity because there is a globalist cancer that is being wiped out abroad. We need to kill the origin of this metastasy and we need to kill it here. Go ahead, Velas. Yeah, and your your point is well taken. The the I would uh, use the language, folks, of of a sense or spirit of renewal. Now, yes. I was joking with a friend last night who was who was complimenting me on my ethnic background or something like that. And I jokingly told them, "Well, unfortunately, it's become the 1970s again, and I have to self-identify as only Scottish, and the Russian side is only for those who know me, because evidently I can't acknowledge anymore that I'm I'm ethnically Russian." Um, I even caught on somebody's chat board out there somewhere that they were saying, well, we should we should stop discriminating against Russian Americans. And I almost fell out of my chair because my thought was, oh, shit, has that started already? <laughs> Damn. Um, that crap, I better, I better get these flags off my wall here in my uh, my office because I've got a black, yellow, white uh, flag with the Russian Imperial Eagle on it here for the, for the royal family. Um but this sense of renewal, you know, in, in Russian history, there there is this concept about the phoenix. Now, I know that the phoenix is a symbol that's been used by a lot of different people. But for the ethnic Russian community, the symbolism of the phoenix is when you look at Russian history, <laughs> which is rough to put it mildly, um, that sense of always finding a way to renew that, yes, the, the phoenix has died and it is reconstituted as an egg and it will rise again. One of the things that I learned, which which caught me a little off guard when I was an undergraduate college, was when they use the word in political science or international affairs terminology of a regime, quote unquote, a regime, that's a reference to the governmental system of what they call a state, but the average person would refer to as a country. The United States legally and historically has had three regimes. It's technically correct. We had the Articles of the Confederation. Then we went with the U.S. Constitution. That's the second regime. And there was a third. And the third is the Confederacy. Now, we've tested these concepts like a business or like a living organism, or for that matter, like the living environment. You know, as an animal, do I need longer fur or shorter fur? What kind of dangers am I facing, et cetera? We tried out the Articles of Confederation, and it didn't work. It was a great idea. It's like a lot of things in life and a lot of things historically for the human condition. The Articles of the Confederation made a lot of sense, and it was how united 13 colonies who didn't always get along or didn't even care about each other. But in the final analysis, it was too loose an economic and political system, so we went with the U.S. Constitution. And the Confederate Constitution was very similar, but we also tested out the idea, can or should the United States split into two parts and I'm way oversimplifying, and yes, I'm, I'm sugarcoating certain things, but based one based more on industrialization and the other one based on more agrarian uh, models of economics. And we tested that theory, and the Confederate theory didn't work. You can say it was for moral reasons, economic reasons, whatever. Again, in the dispassion of analysis, it didn't, it didn't work. Now, am I saying we need to rewrite the U.S. Constitution? Well, not to be flippant, if we could just follow the U.S. Constitution, that would be fantastic. But the world community is dealing with this. And as I said, you know, I posted some good stuff, which isn't entirely, uh, I don't want to say pro, isn't entirely um, positive or generous towards Putin or the current Russian political system. But to me, it's reality. 
you know, what are many of the factors going on? Well, Crimea needs water and they can't get it right now because Ukrainians cut off the water. Now it's been reactivated, man. Crimea has been seized. There's other methods and, and attempts being made to bring water into, into that region. But then, Velas, Velas, the Russians restarted the, the fresh water to oh, Crimea. Okay. Already, that it. was like two days ago. Got it. Um, then we have a laundry list of Ukraine accepting arms. Um, the other thing, too, is everything from give us NATO membership to give us EU recognition to the list goes on. <laughs> and then, of course, the stuff that you hear, you know, in places like Rogue and, and other alternative folks out there. The, the massive, massive amount of money laundering going on in, in Ukraine. Not to mention the fact that a number of key U.S. politicians, kids, no joke. It's not just, you know, everybody's, well, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden. It's like, you know, I hate to go here. Hunter Biden is like Jeff Epstein. It's a very easy target. Right. But it's like, who has Hunter been hanging out with? Well, holy shit. It's a whole bunch of politicians, other kids who all sit on boards of directors. And I'm sure they're all eminently qualified to help the Ukrainians understand how best to use their energy reserves. I'm sure they're all experts in um, new options with energy and natural gas. And they that's are. why they're on these boards. Well, go over here if I could. If I can. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, John Kerry's kid and the list goes on. Yep, John Kerry's kid. Uh, what's his name? Um, the guy from uh... Utah, Utah. Yeah, uh, Romney. Romney, yeah, Romney and, and, the, and, the, and the smartest trader. In the world, with Nancy Pelosi, who is the smartest husband, yes. options trader on planet Earth, the okay. smartest alcoholic in the entire United States yes. government, Nancy Pelosi. Yep. So yeah, this this sense of <clears throat> renewal for political systems that function correctly, you know, and I, I brought up on a prior show, and again, it's it's just I'm just regurgitating what's out there in the academic world. Um, there was a deal struck. Uh, tacitly and implicitly between the citizens of Europe and their governments. And by that, I predominantly mean Germany and France, and to some degree, England, at the end of World War II. You give us, the government, total control, and we will make sure you all have jobs, and you'll have social security, and you'll have various other forms of national security. So, you know, Britain created the National Health Service. And in the case of France, and I'm being a bit disingenuous, if you graduate from college and can't find a job, don't worry, the French government will get you one. Well, that stuff's all breaking down. And of course, what came in the news today, and I know some of us were having a rather vigorous discussion on Discord about this, uh, Germany has publicly announced they've got to overhaul and rethink their entire energy uh, model. <laughs> yeah, Scholz. Yeah, I mean, not to be we indelicate. Will coal, we will do nuclear, we will do uh, natural gas, we will do LNG, we'll do solar, we'll do anything. <laughs> yeah, on a public forum, I was a little bit more gentle. I said, perhaps this is an opportunity for all of Europe to rethink its green energy policies. What I said on Discord was, was quite a bit more <laughs> blunt about, yeah, uh, I think you, you overplayed your, your uh, hand of cards here, folks. Uh, I've also seen the graphic that V's got up. I'm sure some of you have also seen the uh, the photos that show George Floyd as the ghost of Ukraine. <laughs> well, you heard about this guy. This is the Kang of Kiev. Okay, reports are coming out of Ukraine out of, uh, of an American immigrant turned civil defense engineer known as the Kang of Kiev who has slowed Russian advance by commandeering over 50, Velas, 50 of their tactical bicycles. Yeah. yeah, and there was somebody else out there had had like some street gang out of L.A. was now working with the Ukrainians and had knocked out multiple, you know, APCs. Plus, I also post. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about the, the shark? 
This guy, a knife. Oh yeah, a lone soldier from Ukraine had a has single handedly destroyed fifteen Russian submarines on his own, armed with nothing but a knife and sheer will. He's known to locals as the Shark of Kiev. Yeah, I posted uh, last night on Discord, and there's there's so many now that are are doing it, and I commend them all for their work. Um, Somebody on the Discord chat, and again, I I said this on my on, on my Velas page. I wasn't. I, somebody had posted it on either my page or the international page that uh, Russian APCs uh, were burning and this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, I found, I actually found and translated for all of you on Discord what the photos actually say. That that actually was from 2014 after the Maidan, exactly in one of the regions. That that was not a current photo. And there's there's a number of folks out there who've been going through a host of the different photos and film clips. Even Fox News, for God's sakes, has started identifying, you know, hey, uh, this is straight out of a video game. This is not. <laughs> yeah. And we don't we don't mean that hypothetically. We mean that literally. It's literally. like the, the most literally. recent uh, releasing video game graphics. Soldier being nicknamed as the Odessa ass bandit. Yep. Oh, my God. Look, did you guys hear about this? Reports out of Ukraine of a soldier being uh, nicknamed the Odessa ass bandit who has single handedly raped over 20 Russian soldiers on his own, Velas. Texan, Texan Tom Payne. Um, <laughs> the Ukrainians renamed uh, Kiev to kind of give it a more Ukrainian kind of feel and spelling. The other thing about, Yeah, the other thing about Ukraine is, is that they've also, in some cases, they'll use the Latin alphabet rather than the Cyrillic alphabet. Um, They're such idiots. It's, it's, just, it's just one of those things. Well, and I mean, you know, the other thing too is... <clears throat> We, we've gotten fairly believable reports, but again, uh, vet and trust but verify that number one, you've got a lot of these these hoodlums, really gangs uh, masquerading as militia, whether the Azov or others. And there's there's actually some very excellent data out there. I should probably post it on Discord. I came across uh, a piece somebody had the other day that they identified three oligarchs in Ukraine with close ties to Israel. And these are the folks that are funding some of these brigades, which I, I find the height of lunacy that um, Israel being Israel, notwithstanding, but that, that anyone connected to the state of Israel would be, would be funding anti-Semitic organizations is, is just laughable. Yeah, Kolomoski, a dual citizen, right? Igor Kolomoski, the dual citizen of, uh, of, of Ukraine and Israel. He helps fund uh, a lot of the uh, Spavoda and Azov operations. Yeah, and I posted uh, I posted an article last night about the Spavoda and a bit more detail on that organization and where it came from. Now, again, I'm always amused. I was listening to to Paul's uh, program earlier, and it was very good. And whether it's Paul's commentary or some of the other folks that that I think have got their hand on the throttle appropriately that I find interesting is this I used to I used to actually have I don't use the word argument but I used to have some pretty vigorous discussions with with professors and people at defense conferences and so on and it's that age-old problem with academics and I have nothing against people in academia I have nothing against people with PhDs I almost got one myself but it's that old thing like I said on another show about the the guy who was in my MBA program who said I don't want to talk to any professor unless you've run three or four companies into the ground. Yeah. Because if you don't have real world experience, I, then everything you're telling me is book theory 
and it might be right, it might be wrong, but it's, Wait, it's did you it's just untested? Did you just pretty much surmise the entire Western cabal of a fashion? <laughs> but where I'm going with this is whenever the big theory folks start kicking around their stuff, and this is one of the reasons why I always like George Friedman. Uh, George Friedman, the Thank author of various books and the, the founder of Stratfor who then left Stratfor and created geopolitical futures. Um, he's, he's um, Hungarian by the way, and his family had been through some serious shit in Europe, which is another reason why I give the man props, but his analysis is spot on. And I know he has excellent sources, but Friedman has reminded people for years. He, he even, I don't want to say simple, that's not the right word, but he kind of boils it down before he gets into the complexity, which is, are you seriously going to tell me? That after, depending on how one wants to term the following, 5,000 plus years of recorded human history and perhaps a lot more that isn't recorded, that now suddenly borders no longer matter. And by that, there are reasons why certain peoples, certain countries, certain groups have always either been living in areas of plains or steppe regions versus mountainous regions and others or oceans or rivers or what have you that suddenly all of that no longer applies, that just theory now matters. And where I'm going with this is Russia's moves against Ukraine are complex. There's a lot going on there. And there's a lot that could have been done to keep this from even happening. And that I'm pointing the finger at Europe and a whole host of other, other players that are out there. Plus the other thing is, is you know, Putin's got to keep his own oligarchs happy. And that's, that's another aspect he's trying to, to manage. But in the final analysis, and to paraphrase V, this is classic, straightforward, right out of the book, geopolitical, geostrategic analysis and reality. The, the folks in the world of theory, and I'm, I'm also dovetailing back into my comments about the Great Reset. The folks that believe that, well, we're pretty sure we got it down. We've got this really great theory about whatever. And it's like the number one criticism of Marx and anyone in the, in the realm of, of communist theory. Okay, that's all well and good. And on paper, it sounds great. But what are you doing about the self-interest motivation? You're expecting individuals to give up everything for the collective good. People are still going to act in human nature based on their own self-interest. What are you doing to promote an individual's ability to provide for the betterment of everybody else while still looking out for their own self-interest? And it's the same thing here. Russia and other major countries are always going to act based on strategic and tactical objectives. Right. Theory does not mean shit if you look at Russia's borders. I've, I've joked about this on the show, and my relatives used to say this, that, you know, when you're in other countries and you smell food cooking or you smell smoke of somebody's cooking fire, it's like, oh, I wonder what they're making for dinner. In Russia, when you smell smoke, it's like, is that the Germans <laughs> or is it the French who the shit's on our border and who's about to come over here? Oh, yeah. um, well, it helps so, if the opposing force has uh, has swastikas painted all over themselves. And that really helps. So when you, you look at the one video I posted last night by the guy doing kind of the historical treatise on all this, and he showed that, you know, during the Cold War, most of the military activity was really, if it ever broke out, would have been channeled in a very narrow area. In fact, um, for military uh, tacticians, especially for people in the world of tanks, this was the Fulda Gap region in Germany. 
where this is no joke. I mean, people say it kind of laughingly, but, but it's a dead serious comment. If World War III had broken out during the Cold War, the, your life expectancy in a tank uh, in the Fulda Gap was literally five minutes. There were so many tanks, military equipment, artillery, and missiles flying around. They just didn't expect anybody to make it because it was a highly concentrated area of combat. At the end of the Cold War, the borders have opened up and Russia's exposed. And Russia is always going to get sensitive about that. It's no different than the old international affairs joke that says, if you're expecting China to admit they made a mistake, or alternatively, the earth becomes a cinder, China's going to choose cinder. Because China and their culture are such that they can never acknowledge, like, we made a major planning mistake, even if they did. They just can't, they just can't do it. It's like certain expectations of Japan as a homogenous society that's, that's entirely Japanese. There's just certain aspects of, shall we say, open-mindedness towards other people that for Japan is just really hard for them to do because it's like, yeah, but you see, we're all Japanese. <laughs> that's, and that's the way it's going to be. Right. Um, it's the same way South Americans react every time they hear a major Western corporation has decided to set up operations in their country. And it's like, oh, great. When are the death squads arriving? So for Russia, open borders is bad juju. It's always been bad juju. And every time they turn around, there's another country who's joining NATO. Now, some of that is, again, speaking of political self-interest, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. I can get why they would want to join NATO. And Poland... <laughs> Poland, in my opinion, is in NATO, just kind of, sort of. Uh, to, to me, they're, I've said this on, on last week's show, to me, they're like France. Uh, they'll shoot in both directions. And, and this nonsense of European leaders, you hear this, oh, well, Poland is going to possibly be launching airstrikes against Russian positions. Oh, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> first, of all, first of all, take Russia out of that equation. Europe, I'm looking in your general direction, and I'm talking about from the 17 and 1800s to this second. You have let Poland down every goddamn time. Mm -hmm. You let them down when the imperial, which is my people, when imperial Russia and imperial Germany cut up Poland because Poland was becoming so weak and incapable of managing itself. Russia and Germany kind of looked at each other and said, we should probably just split up this country because these guys are going to be a mess on our borders if we don't do something about it. And they basically partitioned Poland. Where was Europe? Nowhere to be seen. And then several other events and post-World War I, and everybody's like, okay, Poland, there you go, you're free. It's like, well, could, could we have a, could somebody give us a little guidance and help here? We haven't been a, a country in as long as probably the Serbian, Serbians haven't been a, their own independent country. Oh, you got it. You're fine. 1939 rolls around. Poland is looking at France and Britain going, we're getting hit from both sides here. Where, where the hell are you guys? Yeah, you know, God, we're really tight you know, the Germans might come across the French border and that's more of a priority. Right. So Cold War, you know, why did Poland not rise up the way Hungary did in 56 and Czechoslovakia did in 68? Because they already got the memo that Poland has Poland's back. That's about it. And that's why Poland runs that alliance today that most Americans don't even know exists with Romania and Bulgaria and other countries. Poland is going to attack. Oh, my God. Poland, Poland doesn't need to see the degree to which Europe and the United States have screwed over Ukraine, and they did, and set them up for failure, which they did. Poland doesn't need any additional information to wonder whether or not Europe's got their back. If Poland starts launching, I can't even begin to imagine Poland taking actual military action against Russia, unless, unless their borders have been compromised. 
Poland is not getting in this fight on behalf of the United States and Europe. And Europe and the United States, once again, trying to get other proxies <clears throat> to fight for them is laughable. It's ludicrous. I mean, anyone in politics internationally knows what happened to Ukraine. And they know the degree to which Ukraine got set up by the Western powers in this nonsense, which is tragic because a lot of people on all sides are losing their lives. And now we've got a whole jacked up bunch of people around the world that think they understand what this is really all about and they don't. But oh, yeah. Poland or other countries getting involved, I can't even begin to imagine that ever happening. Yeah, I agree with that. Fellas, uh, we're pretty much at the uh, top of the hour. Um, yes, sir. Last closing comments. I'm good, sir. I'm good. Uh, you all, you all take care out there, and uh, I'll see you again on Friday. And I'm still, I'm still putting the show together. I've got about half, half of it together, but I've got some, I've got some good content. So, I look forward to seeing you all then. And I hope uh, the mic performance was much better. My thanks to Hobo. Oh yeah, Sherman. it sounds great, man. Yeah, I've uh, he uh, he got me all hooked up on the settings, and like I said, that's how you know we're a real show, folks, because we're still <laughs> working through this. <laughs> uh. Good times, good times. Anyway, folks, he is Velas. You can find him over the Discord if you need to get a hold of Discord. Email CJ, CJ at roguenews.com or email support at roguenews.com. And with that being said, we're over at Matthew Errett next at 2 p.m. in approximately 58 minutes. So get scrapped in for that. Matthew Errett is next. And we're over and out. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>